0: Thank you for coming today. I'm Kevin Avertell. I'm the Democracy Commitment Coordinator here at Marine Valley, and I appreciate all of you coming. Uh, if you this is your first time coming to the Democracy Hour, the idea is to create an open space for us to discuss current events and issues and elections. And obviously, last Tuesday, we had a major midterm election. And uh, so today would be an opportunity for us to talk about that. i got two great panelists. Today, we have uh, Professor Mary Fafleis and Professor Darren Schreck. Thank you, thank you, Mike, thank you. Um, <laughs> they both teach political science, and Mary Fafleis also teaches sociology, history, and, and, okay, yeah. Just, I thought <laughs> pretty much all of social <laughs> science. So um, I'm very haf- happy that they joined us. I'm very happy uh, to Troy Swanson and the library for hosting us uh, in today. And again, thank you for being here. The the idea is that we'll have kind of a brief overview of the 2018 election, uh, some thoughts from the panelists, and then we'll turn it over to you. And uh, so any questions or comments that you have, just feel free to raise your hand, and I'll come around with the microphone so we can um, h- make sure that everybody hears it. So I thought I'd just briefly show you, uh, if you can't see on the screen, and if, in case you weren't following along in the past week, um, The election results, so in some ways, it was a split decision, but at the national level, in the US uh, House, the Democrats picked up at least 33 seats uh, and they, 32 seats, and there's still about 10 undecided seats that they're still uh, collecting votes and mail-in ballots, and uh, there's a small percent difference between the two candidates, so they haven't been declared a winner yet. Uh, But of those ten seats, I believe Republicans are leading six of them, and and Democrats are leading four. Um, And then in the U.S. Senate, uh, there's – Republicans picked up an additional two seats, so they increased their majority. And there's three undecided seats – Florida, um, Mississippi, and Arizona. So we will get the, the final results here in the next couple of weeks. And then in the governor's races throughout the United States, Democrats picked up about seven seats, including Illinois. So these, um, if you look at the map, the states that are shaded blue, of course, represent um, Democratic governors, and the states that are red represent Republican governors. The states that are not shaded either color did not uh, have a uh, a governor's election in 2018. And then we have a few states where they are shaded, and they represent um, states that shifted power from uh, a governor being Republican to now being Democrat. And then the two states down below here, Georgia and Florida, Republican candidate is leading, but it's still too early to um, officially declare a winner. So that's the state of things nationally. I thought i'd turn it over to our panelists they're going to talk about some of the local implications and their thoughts on the 2018 election and then again we'll turn it over to you so please join me in welcoming and thanking our two panel members today
1: hi everybody thank you kevin it's a pleasure to have the band back together again the three of us have been on many a panel together um so I think my takeaways from this election, um, I was very pleased as a, as a woman to see so many women get out and run and win. Uh, one, of, probably one of the few things I can thank Donald Trump for is that his election in 2016 really galvanized an unprecedented number of female candidates, and not just female candidates, others also to run. Um, I think that a lot of it had to do with the fact that you know, they would see that, well, if Donald Trump was a man who wasn't very experienced and he could run and he could win, why can't I? Um, in addition to that, you also had the galvanization a lot of a lot of organizations like Emily's List that were helping to train women who did not ever run before to kind of give them some information. How do you run, right? How do you canvass for votes? How do you get money to help your war chest to fight your opponent? Um, and those those things I think paid off. You had about 120 women elected. Um, we still, have, as Kevin said, a few a few races that are undecided but this is, uh, this is an unprecedented thing. We went from about 20% of women in US Congress to about 22, which may not sound like it's that noteworthy of a number, but it's the highest that we've ever been at. So that in and of itself is, is a great thing. Um, so w- we'll see kind of what that, what that implication will be in the long run, but they also have uh, the, le- the election of two Muslim women ever um, to the house, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, um, two Native American women uh, the first openly bisexual governor, female governor elected, and South Dakota elected its first female governor, and there were a few other states that also elected the f- their first female governor as well. So, I, you know, 1992 they called it the year of the woman, um, and now I, I believe that 2018 is going to go down as the as the year of the woman too. I also think that in in it'll be interesting to see moving forward in 2020 um, how much of how many more women might be running for office and. Is, there, is that having an, an effect like it did in, in 1992 in the aftermath of the Anita Hill-Clarence Thomas hearings where a bunch of women then ran vote as a result of that? Will it be the same kind of effect with what happened with uh, Brett Kavanaugh and that, the recent Supreme Court um, nomination? So that's those are my thoughts for now. I've got a few more, but I'll, I'll turn it over to my, my colleague.
2: Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, good afternoon. What was really nice about this past election is that we had uh, the highest midterm voter turnout since uh, the 1960s. Uh, it doesn't seem like we're ever going to get close to like an 80 or 90 percent, you know, midterm turnout or even presidential turnout, but we did have a, a significant number of people who showed up this time around. And as Professor Felice mentioned, a lot of it was uh, uh, in relation to the current president, the presidential administration, but also, uh It's a, like, I'll talk about it a little bit later, like a repudiation of current Republican Party politics where there were many moderate Republicans who were running for re-election who did not get uh, re-elected this time around uh, simply because perhaps the only thing that was next to their name was the wrong letter. They had an R next to their name. Uh, We saw it during the Obama administration where uh, in one of the midterm elections, I believe they lost 63 seats. And in many of those cases, they just had a D next to their name mm-hmm. uh, rather than uh, being voted out strictly on policy. Uh, we did see a, uh, a change in our uh, electoral map in uh, Illinois with a new Democratic governor. We also have a supermajority in both houses, in the House and the Senate uh, in Illinois, which is very important to note because if there is going to be a uh, graduated income tax that's put into practice, uh, it has to pass the uh, the legislature first in order for it to get as a constitutional amendment to our constitution, and that will be voted on perhaps in 2020. So there were some significant changes that took place this time around. And um, how do you want to uh,
1: continue? Want to show your maps first? Or? I want to ask Kevin. Do you want to do you want to ask for questions, or you want me to show some of the local results first?
0: It's up to you guys. Are there any initial questions yeah, you right can just now? Jump in you whenever you have a question. Any, any thoughts on the election? Questions about the election, either nationally or in the state of Illinois?
2: I can go first because I have my PowerPoint. Yeah, sure, okay. that's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Alright. Alright. So Alright. what I'll do is I'll, I'll go to my PowerPoint and show some of the things that I discussed. What we're gonna look at are some uh, charts that uh, came from the New York Times and also Business Insider uh... explaining how uh... the suburbs and the urban areas have voted as opposed to the uh, rural areas and what that means for both the democrats and the republicans but also uh... we're going to look at the state legislatures and then i'll touch upon uh... the possibility of what's going to happen in two thousand twenty Yes. Election. Uh, it was uh, a refuting of the uh, the Trump presidency. Uh, like I said, many people were voted in and out of office simply because of the R or the D next to their name. What implications that will have in 2020? That's up for discussion and debate uh, because that is a presidential year, and you do have a different electorate who shows up uh, in presidential years as opposed to midterm elections. So we don't know necessarily how. These people who were elected, newly democratically uh, elected or Democratic Party elected uh, congressmen, if they're going to get reelected in 2020. Also, it's about holding the Republican Party accountable. Uh, We just had Halloween, and you pass by some people's homes, and they'll have their own little makeshift uh, graveyards and everything. Like, you could put a graveyard that says, you know, a headstone that says, rest in peace Sears or something like that. (laughs) But... uh, You might have said right after the election that this was like a rest in peace to the Republican Party. This happens in cycles. We were saying the same thing about the Democratic Party under Obama, that it's the end of the Democratic Party as we know it. I think the difference between what we see now uh, with the Republican Party, one of the differences with the Republicans today as opposed to the Democrats uh, a few years earlier, is that we don't know if Republicans have learned their lesson. the issue of Obamacare, whether you like it or not, was really off of the table. It really wasn't there to be discussed this time around. And I- the Republican Party of old, if they held to their conservative traditions, what they would do is they would round the edges on an issue rather than say, let's abolish it overall. Uh, this Republican class was came from the perspective it's all or nothing. Yeah. And um, the voters said, we want all, and we want nothing to do with you. Uh, with the Republican Party in general, uh, what they have run into is whether or not they want to run to their constituency or do they want to run towards the presidency. Uh, do they want to keep their allegiance to a president who has lower uh, than 50 percent approval, or do they want to keep closer to their constituents who, at by and large, are the uh, final arbiter as if the, uh, in, in which they could stay or uh, be booted out of office? Uh, the Republican Party has to understand that there are changes in the electorate. And one thing I do want to mention with that is the, let's
1: see,
2: is this slide right here from the, from Business uh, Insider. They divide three different types of districts up by, based on whether it's urban, suburban, or rural. And this is going to be the current makeup come January of uh, urban districts, which are purely urban, like you know the city of Chicago urban, uh, versus something that might be uh, urban-suburban, like a Cicero type of uh, area where we live. The blue represents all of the Democratic seats. The Republican seats are in red. Uh, no one is considering that the Republican Party can win any of those seats. And the same thing holds true here, that nobody really takes uh, it seriously that the Republican Party can win those urban, suburban-type seats. Where the Republicans are very strong is in our farmlands, in our rural areas in the South and in the Midwest. You could see that here. And nobody is concerned about that change either. In fact, it's become a little bit more deeper red in the rural areas of our country than it is blue. Where there is concern for the Republican Party, however, is in the Palos, Orland, Tinley-type areas in our country, where you see that this is what it was in 2010. The Republicans had seats about 47% and 60%. Now that has dropped to 20% and 40%. The electorate has shifted in the suburbs, which was traditionally a mainstream Republican liberal to moderate, in some areas moderate, to conservative votership. Now it's become a little bit more moderate to liberal t- to liberal uh, constituency on the Democratic side. So that's where the Republicans have to evaluate how are they going to get the votes back. It probably won't happen in two years. It might not happen in four years. It might happen six or eight years down the line. So the biggest concern for the Republican Party would be how do we get those suburban voters back. This map right here might not come up very clear, but these are the state legislatures. This is what our state legislatures are gonna look like. This is from the New York Times in 2018. The blue simply means that the Democratic Party in each of these states from 1960 to 2018 holds both the House and the Senate in the state legislature. The red means that the Republicans have the Uh, state legislatures both in the House and the Senate. The gray is a split legislature, meaning that one party, a divided government, one party has the House and the other party has the Senate. As you can see, the Republicans are doing very well in the state legislatures. The Democrats have some work to do. If there's anything that the Republicans can hold their hat on, is that they can get a good base of candidates down the line for the House and the Senate and even for president down the line two, four, you know, eight years down the line, uh, because they have a good bench. The Democrats have a lot of work to do, Mm -hmm. but they are growing. Here's one thing that you do need to note, that we are becoming divisive in our state legislatures as well. There is only one state in 2018, the state of Minnesota, that has a divided government, (coughs) where one party controls one house and the other party controls the other. So the Republican Party has the state legislatures. They did lose a few. As you could see, Colorado, Maine, New Hampshire, New York, and Washington now are under one-party rule. And it looks like the only state on the Republican side that gained uh, one-party rule was uh, in Alaska on the Republican side. So the Republicans have more to do with the states than they probably do more, uh, let's say, footing with the states than they do on the national level. And then, finally, what does this all mean for 2020? Well, who knows? Because <laughs> I just read an article yesterday, I read a column yesterday that said Hillary Clinton's thinking about running again. Uh, just when the younger folks like Cory Booker, and Kamala Harris, and Beto O'Rourke, uh, part of a new wave of Democrats who are out there trying to gain footing in their own party, just like when it looks like they're gaining momentum, somebody pops up and says, now we're still going to push you out and you got to wait your turn. So, we don't know if the Democrats are going to capitalize on this. After all, Beto O'Rourke didn't even win for his Senate seat, but he raised so much money that people are considering that he's a a presidential candidate in 2020. And then there are some other spoilers, like Howard Schultz, the former uh, CEO for Starbucks, John Hickenlooper, the outgoing uh, governor of uh, Colorado, and Steve Bullock from Montana, the uh, governor from Montana. It'll be interesting to see if any of these people get in the race as well. Like I said, it's still too early, but all of a sudden people are making overtures that they're raising money. Mm -hmm. Howard Schultz is uh, getting a PR firm together. Beto O'Rourke is already putting out fundraising letters for a possible run in 2020. So we'll see what happens there. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot to cover uh, in a short period of time, so I want to pass
1: it off to Mary. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think uh, we'll just take yours if you don't mind, Darren. I think Professor Shrek brought up a good point, and it was something I was going to touch on, too, the idea that I think the Democrats have kindly woke, sort of woken up from their complacency in that you had um, – Republicans have been focusing for the past 15 years on winning governorships and state legislatures, and they've been very good at it. And Democrats have been kind of accused of being more interested in, in nationwide politics as opposed to what's going on locally. So I think what you saw in this last election is they're kind of like, okay, we need to start working on this, too. Um, and so that these gains are gonna be interesting to see what they mean for 2020 and what they mean after the census is redrawn, uh, redraws the boundaries, excuse me. I wanted to um, focus a little bit on, my students did a, uh, on election day, uh, did some exit polling right here in Palos Hills. And so we were at, there are seven different polling stations uh, throughout the city. Um, and those of you who are from the area, you might know kind of what they are, but um, this one in particular, this is from Sacred Heart Church right over here on 111th and Roberts Road. And so I asked the question, the questions were what issue mo- motivated you to vote um, and so this was, uh, you had jobs in the economy and then you had um, other and if you click on the other in this case, the responses were anger, nothing with an F at the end, I'm not sure what that's supposed to be, American citizenship, always vote, all, I don't know what that means, Democrats, I guess that's a negative, media, that's probably a too. or just vote, nothing in particular, the last person, I got nothing, I just voted. Um, candidate for governor, Rouner was beating Pritzker in that area. I think the most interesting one was this one, the candidate for Congressional District 3 that you voted for. And um, Daniel Penske won a pretty overwhelming victory, but I don't know if any of you know why, I know one person here does for sure, why uh, his opponent, the Republican opponent, was not given any support from the Republican Party. There was a reason why he didn't get any of his own party to fund him. Does anybody know what that reason was? Yes, sir? Yeah, Mike, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's he's a Nazi. He's a, a a self like a self-proclaimed, self-avowed Nazi, and yet the Nazi in this di- in Sacred Heart Church right here in this district was beating at the time Dan Lipinski. Now this is only a one-hour screenshot. My students were out there from eleven to twelve fifteen, um, so I'll show you another one to give you an idea of what you know maybe that this is just a one-off. Because if you look at at Sacred Heart, where I think the area there's a little bit more conservative, um, and we go over to let's say. Uh, Palos Hills Township Hall, or um, outside the Community Center, which is right next to Green Hills Public Library. And that area there tends to take in um, the area across the street where there are apartments and condominiums, which has more minorities, more Democratic voters. And we only have about eight respondents there, but there's some interesting, um, interesting results there, too. Sorry, it's a little slow. Healthcare was the number one concern. Uh, which was a uh, number one concern for many Democrats going into this election, this concern of pre-existing conditions being taken away. Um, You know, the accusations at the Republican Party that they've had a good number of years try to fix this problem and they have not. People being concerned that having a pre-existing condition will be taken away and they will not have healthcare anymore. Some of the responses here, um, you had the president, immigration, healthcare, all of the above, all issues. Uh, governor for J.B. Pritzker got Browner didn't get any. Now Grant has only eight votes versus twenty in the other the other um, polling station, and then Dan Lipinski won overwhelmingly, and no votes for Arthur Jones. So we were talking about that, and I also asked the question of how much of an impact, right, the, your your political efficacy, how much of an impact do you feel that your vote makes? And most people, surprisingly, would say, you know, despite the cynicism that we have in our politics, they'd say a lot. A lot of people feel that they've got a great impact, or at least somewhat of an impact, which I thought that was kind of a heartening thing. And that was across the board, whether it was at Palos Hills Township Hall or the Village Hall or the golf course, the municipal golf course on 103rd in Harlem. Most people felt like their vote does make a difference. So I, I thought that was actually kind of a pleasing result. So now, we, we talked about the idea, you know, why did, how did the Nazi get that many votes? Um, and it's probably attributed not to the fact that we've got all these Nazis living in Palos Hills, which I kind of hope we don't, that'd be a good thing, um, but more of the fact that people just tend to vote their party, right? So if you are a Republican, you're just gonna click R, even if you don't know who that person is. I mean, the Republican Party could've done, like, just even put up a sign, if they could've put up a sign outside the polling station saying, don't vote for our candidate, they didn't give him any money, they didn't support him in any way because the man is a Nazi, which kind of shows you where we are in today's politics, the fact that, um, that he was running and even and got some of the votes. Again, a lot of it could have had to do with the fact that, you know, people are just voting straight party ticket, but I think there were a few probably in there who were maybe knew who he was and were okay with it. So, any questions about the the local stuff or anything? About anything in the in the race that you were concerned about or you were wondering about? You, do you have a question or no? To go off of what, what Professor Shrek was saying um, as well about the candidates for 2020, um, I agree that I think that part of the part of the issue that the Democrats have is they've not been cultivating good leadership, younger leadership. It's been seen as kind of the, the old guard is always kind of you know holding the reins and they've they haven't passed it on to the younger generation yet. But it's I think it's a little too soon to tell, too, because you know we always kind of get on the bandwagon. Hillary Clinton in 2008, you know, she had it in the bag. It was, this was going to be hers, right? It was her coronation. Um, and then out of nowhere, out of left field, Barack Obama came in and kind of stole her thunder. Um, 2016, same thing. This was supposed to be Hillary Clinton's, again, another coronation. And Bernie Sanders came in literally out of left field and uh, kind of, uh, again, kind of gave her a really real run for her money. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see if somebody kind of emerges from that field like Barack Obama did that might kind of do that. But I think one of the problems that the Democrats do have is that we tend to look for these superstars, right? This person that can kind of raise all of our hopes and dreams, and we kind of put all of our hopes and dreams in that person, and instead of maybe try to cultivate a lot of new leadership, which I think now they're kind of getting there. I think they're getting that. So we'll see. We'll see. It's anyone's game. Yes, Mike?
3: Uh, just a comment on the local elections uh, for judges. Uh, I thought it was important that uh, I research and uh, you know get an understanding who is uh, running or to be reelected as a judge. And um, through that research, I voted against two, which is the recommendation of the Illinois Bar Association, which knows more about judges than I do. And I was. Presently, pleasantly surprised to see that one did uh, was not retained. Mm-hmm. So at least my research perhaps helped on that.
1: Yeah. And probably one of the the benefits of of the internet <coughs> and Google and even social media is that that word can kind of get out on people that traditionally maybe some of those candidates you wouldn't have even talked about, um, but it's easier not to get that the average layperson can get that information.
2: Oh, and you know, going along with the the this kind of goes along with local elections as well but one of the things that professor Fafleese brought up about the uh, the Democratic Party is that if you look at the seats where Democrats won and they picked it up from the Republican side these were people who were considered to be for the most part more pragmatic Democrats than your Bernie Sanders progressive types uh, the Democrats nominated a a progressive Democratic uh, nominee uh, for governor in Florida. They did the same in Georgia. The race for Georgia looks like it's going to go to the Republican side. The Demo- the race in Florida is kind of up for grabs. But in, in the case of Florida, many people said that if the, if the Democratic electorate would have voted for a more moderate Democrat in the primary, we wouldn't be having a recount situation right now. That moderate probably would have won because the conservative Republican was probably more affiliated with Trump than anybody else who was just recently elected to office. Most of those who were affiliated with Donald Trump who was who were endorsed by Donald Trump lost. And most of those people who were endorsed by uh, a Bernie Sanders type supporter lost as well. So we're looking for, I think the electorate is saying, let's try to reset at this time and let's look for some people who are more pragmatic, not necessarily middle of the road, but if it's a conservative, does that conservative Republican have the time and the wherewithal to listen to the other side? Does the liberal Democrat have the time and the wherewithal to listen to the Republican side? I think that's what the voters looking for. They're looking for more of a consensus builder both on the Democrat and Republican side than anything else.
1: To to bounce off of Professor Shrek's comment, I just was listening this morning um, to the, uh, there's a program on HBO, um, Axios, Axios, which in Greek means worthy, I'm not sure if that's what they were going for, but anyway, um, they were, they had a poll that they conducted talking about how 61% of Democrats view Republicans as racist, xenophobic, um, sexist, etc. 31% of Republicans view Democrats as racist, uh, um, xenophobic, et cetera. And they, they, one of the most telling ones was that 50%, pretty much it was evenly split, where Democrats and Republicans kind of look at, say that they would not want their kids to marry someone from the other side, quote unquote. Um, and so there, it, it, the idea that we're so, we can't even really talk to one another. We're, we're at a point where we, I think we're afraid to say things, and yet we say a lot of things on social media, but we don't have these kind of face-to-face conversations that I think are more necessary. So maybe the re- maybe kind of the pendulum, hopefully, is c- starting to swing back in the other direction, where we can start talking to one another and, and listening to one another. But the problem is, I don't know if that's if either party, either Republicans or Democrats, believe that that's what the electorate really wants. I, I wonder whether or not they really they think that they, that you know the. Democrats are urging already the House, you, you guys have to impeach him right away, go after him, start these investigations, and you know, if the base is really gonna be pushing the party to do that, it'll be interesting to see how much they listen to their base. Um, at the same time, I, I didn't hear Nancy Pelosi, who's likely to be the next speaker, um, sounding too enthusiastic about the idea of opening up with impeachment proceedings <laughs> right away. They kinda wanna, because that can set a, t- a dangerous precedent like this president or not, we don't want to be in now in a game when, you know, every, ele- every time we don't like a president, well, let's seek impeachment articles against him and try to remove him from office. So I think that's kind of concerning as well.
2: And both, and both political parties, when they've been out of power for two, four, or whatever amount of years, it, to them it seems like an eternity. So when they get into power, they typically, I shouldn't say typically, but there are times where they just overplay their hand. You know, if the Democrats want to go down the impeachment route, same thing's going to happen to them that happened to the Republicans in the 90s when they they impeached uh, Bill Clinton, and they were voted out of office. So the Republicans this time around, it seemed like they were fighting for tax cuts. They got their tax cuts, and that was all they were going to do, and they were going to let the chips fall where they they may, and uh, they paid the price for it. And if Democrats want to overplay their hand and go for impeachment, go right ahead because voters are going to— Get tired of that routine, and they're going to be looking for moderate Democrats or moderate Republicans who will seem to be more pro, uh, more pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought I uh,
0: we're about halfway through and uh, with our time, and I thought I'd open it up to see if there was any questions about the election, uh, any comments, any reactions. F- feel free to raise your hand.
4: So I, I thought it was really interesting. You said the Republicans um, basically are being, you know, punished for um, partly for um, the president, mm-hmm. um, and and I would argue also because they held both houses and the presidency, and yet the deficit is now the largest it's been in a very long time, and the Republican Party was supposedly always the party against the deficit. So I think. Some Republicans held them accountable for that too. Um, But my question is, uh, this state has a lot of problems and it has for a long time, um, but it doesn't seem like the electorate holds the uh, main party responsible here. So what's the difference between um, the federal government, how people vote versus state? Hmm.
2: How much time do we have? all right. <laughs> um, here's how I look at it, Karen. You work, so let's just say, someone works for the state. And you have a spouse, and you have two or three children. And your whole livelihood is dependent upon that person who works for the state, whether it's your husband or wife or your child. Everybody is benefiting from that government job there's nothing wrong with government jobs everybody's benefiting from it you have an opponent saying that the state of Illinois is corrupt it's because of XY and Z person who's in charge well XY and Z person in charge is also in charge of giving that person a government job what that person is essentially saying that opponent of the way Illinois government works is is I'm going to put your dad and your mom and your three kids out of a job, and I'm going to take food off your table. That's the difference. At least from a micro level, you're putting five people out in the street. And there's no way that husband or wife or their three children are going to allow that opponent of a corrupt system, supposedly, they're going to allow that person to get into power because they may put me out of a job. They may put me out of uh, having food on the table or sending my kids to school. So, when you look at it that way, it's not just the people who are in office and the people who work in government who benefit, it's the family members who benefit, and they don't see anything wrong with it. It's everybody else who's paying the price for it who sees something wrong with it, but those people are outnumbered. On the national level, on the national level, historically, both political parties know how to play nice with one another. And so sometimes you'll hear the comments that, you know, there's not a dime's worth of difference between the Democrats and Republicans. And as you're mentioning, Karen, that Republicans were always the party of cutting taxes, but not only cutting taxes, but cutting spending. Well, this time around, they cut taxes and they increase spending. So there's really no difference on the spending side between the Democrats and Republicans. So we kind of blur the difference. But on the state level, going back to that, if I'm a Republican or Independent who benefits from that government job, I don't even think I'm gonna get rid of a Democrat who's in office either because I benefit from that way of living as well.
1: I, I think that one of the things that's important to note too, at least on the national level, is the Republican Party is is the party of Trump. Trump is the leader yeah. of the Republican Party, as the president. Mm-hmm. And so I think the number, as Darren was talking about before, of, of moderate Republicans whose voices have kind of been drowned out, you had John McCain Kind of like a, the last kind of gasp of trying to warn us about this partisan politics and playing nice with one another dying, um, so I think a lot of people have, they've cast their fortune with him because they're <coughs> afraid to cross him as well, because they know that, it's, it, that he will go after them, 100%. So it'll be very interesting to see kind of what materializes in 2020. Um, I came ac- this morning. I was looking at the news and uh, President Trump um, was talking about how in Florida he's interjected himself into the Florida race which is still uh, too close to call. I agree with Darren, it's probably gonna go to the Republican, but it's within that margin that's so tiny that automatically triggers a recount. Um, And so he he said that, um, he's tweeting that uh, new ballots are just showing up out of nowhere, that so people are voting, but there's no evidence being provided for that. So what is that gonna mean going forward if we've got a 2020 election where it's very tight in a state like Florida or Ohio or Pennsylvania Will he be calling them the election results as being fake because he doesn't like the results, and what impact will that have? Will that spar? We're already seeing kind of people, you know, the, the violent tendencies that are coming out from the fringes that are scary. Frankly, I think a lot of us are scared by it. Um, what will that mean for a 2020 election if the same thing happens again? Will then some of some followers be motivated to kind of? And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, and you know, but I think it's a very real problem. The idea that that reality, objective reality, is always being called into question. Um, And we really can't even almost agree on what is an objective reality because we're hearing so many different voices and because we're all listening to so many different media outlets too. Um, So if anyone wants to comment on that, you can. I was also gonna talk about the idea of the media itself, but I don't know if anyone wants to say anything about the 2020 election or, Tyler, you was it?
5: So what you said about how uh, how Trump would react to the 2020 elections if um, the results were not in his favor. Uh, I would suggest that, well, there's a lot of evidence to support that Trump never really wanted to be president in the first place. And so I would assume that probably just to be petty, he would probably start stoke some kind of uh, discontent among his supporters, but strictly just leave it at that mm-hmm. and probably just walk away from it. So um, that's I all I- I he doesn't
1: I like to lose. He doesn't, and imp- so, and he's not used to ever losing. So I, I mm. don't know, I, I would have liked to have said to you before, if you'd asked me two years ago, I would have said, yeah, he'll walk away. I don't know anymore. I question right. it now, and I, I, I never would have thought that way two years ago.
5: I know the, the guy in the, in the front row just looked at me like really strangely, so I know he <laughs> disagrees <laughs> with me, but uh, you yeah, know, it's, it's it's hard to say though. Um, I really actually had a question about uh, the government's uh, race with uh, Rauner and Pritzker. Um, so, do you think that uh, because um, Trump kind of distanced himself from Rouner that that, th- that really hurt his chances in this election with his own rep- with his own party? Or um I, th-
1: I think, well, do you want me to say I can say something you can quick? Say your thing. I just z- want to say that I think that Rouner has been him distancing himself from Trump as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, he didn't get love from the president like he referred to as Mia. Love didn't win because yeah. she didn't get she didn't get love from him or his embrace, but um, that was another thing he talked about. But yeah, I would say that Rouner himself was, he's uh, been kind of distancing himself and not wanting to be lumped in with him, so.
2: And yeah, I think the biggest problem with Rouner is that he wasn't considered to be conservative enough for the Republican electorate, so when he ran in his primary, he ran against um, somebody from the state legislature, Jeannie Ives, and that race ended up being quite close. And at that moment when when you run in a primary and you already have four years under your belt, and you almost lose in your primary to an unknown, uh, the national party kind of distances itself from you. So it has really little to do with Donald Trump, you know, separating him from the Repu- separating himself from the Republican Party. It's more like the uh, from Bruce Rauner. It's more like the Republican Party in general separating itself from Bruce Rauner, and at that moment, he probably had no chance of winning. And there were several other Republican governors who d- weren't running, but Republicans were not popular in uh, Michigan and uh, the state of Wisconsin, states that Trump had won. So there was probably more of a connection, if there was, to Donald Trump in those states than there was in our own state.
3: I just had a question on 2020, just hypothetical. If Pence wanted to run against Trump, I- is that even possible, if Vice President Throwing their hat in the ring and has occurred yeah, before. Yeah, he, he
2: could, yeah, but he theoretically he could, but he's he's not going to do that. I, I think he, if if Trump were to get a Republican to run against him, uh, it would probably be somebody who I couldn't even think of a name, but somebody who was only there to kind of move the Republican needle back to the moderate to conservative side. Bec- I wouldn't even say like even anybody of a name, mm-hmm. just somebody to do it. Uh, like when. Pat Buchanan ran against George Bush in 1992. He was trying to bring the needle more to the conservative side. He knew full well he wasn't going to get the nomination. What he was trying to do was create a, um, a dialogue between the National Republican Party and the conservative movement. So you would need somebody who has footing with a movement on the Republican side who's trying to be like the anti-Trump, but with some, some kind of stature, not just a protest candidate.
0: One thing, I I think we're down to maybe 10 to to 12 minutes. I thought I'd um, do a brief overview of of just the implications of some of these election results. So I I think it's been referred to before, but (coughs) what happens now that the Democrats are the majority party in the House of Representatives? And Professor Schreck mentioned about overplaying their hands. um, You know, they were elected for a reason, so I think their constituents are going to want them to do something different than we've seen the last couple of years. But um, you know, a couple things that keep your eye on, the, the, the Mueller investigation, uh, I think in part Democrats are gonna try to protect um, to make sure that that investigation is carried out to its final conclusion. Um, I think there's maybe some areas of agreement between some Democrats and Republicans, maybe on infrastructure spending, um, perhaps on healthcare, um, so uh, that that could be an a- area where they actually, you know Trump mentioned in his press conference the day after the election that he was actually uh, excited that Democrats had won because he thought that that would be better for him in um, you know getting some things done that conservative Republicans may not want to do. Um, and then I think maybe also if you're going to look to 2020, maybe it helps to have a foil to have a um, you know, he, uh, uh, and I don't want to say enemy, but he can blame things on Demo- House Democrats for anything that goes wrong in the next couple of years. Um, another thought that I had about the Senate that I think uh, is important to bring up, uh, Democrats lost in the Senate race, and I know that this is really, really small to see. If anybody's up in the um, front, maybe you can see this, but If you add up all the senators who ran on the Republican side versus the Democratic side, Democrats received about 14 million more votes, but are going to lose at least two Senate seats, potentially up to five. And uh, I think that that's not just important for this election, but going forward, you had referred to how the president, you know, maybe lost in 2016, lost a popular vote. I think Democrats are gonna have a really hard time winning a majority of the Senate anytime soon. If states continue, you know, every state, regardless of their population, they get the same number of senators, and we definitely have more red states, states that tend to vote Republican than blue states. Um, So regardless of what happens at the presidential level in 2020, it's hard to imagine that Democrats win the majority in the Senate. So I think uh, as far as having divided government, that's something that we, you, I would expect to see for, for quite some time. And then lastly, if you're a Democrat, I think the good news is at the state level, it's been mentioned by our panelists already, but Democrats flipped several states Uh, that were Republican-held to Democratic-held, including our own of Illinois, that has a lot of implications at the state level. So many policies. I mean, we literally went three years without having a budget in the state of Illinois, uh, consequences for higher education funding. But on top of that, if you do want to look to 2020 as far as the presidential election, the Democrats had what um, they call the, the blue wall. And that blue wall basically means to get to the majority of the Electoral College to get to the 270-vote threshold. The Democrats had, for 24 years in a row, had won Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And if, if you add those three states to the other states that Hillary Clinton won in 2016, then, then they have the majority of the Electoral College. And so if you look into 2020 and you see that Democrats won Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, These are three states that voted for Donald Trump, uh, collectively by about 78,000 votes total. So these were really narrow victories by Donald Trump in 2016. Um, I think that that clearly means they're, they're in play again for Democrats. And if Democrats find a candidate who is appealing to voters in those three states, then it really doesn't matter what happens in Florida and Ohio and some of these other key battleground states.
1: Um, and kind of piggybacking off of Kevin, uh, even Texas. I mean, Beto O'Rourke lost, but he gave Ted Cruz a run for his money. The idea that you know, the idea, the possibility of Texas flipping blue for the first time since like Lyndon Johnson, um, or I think it was Hubert Humphrey, I think was yeah. the last time it went blue. Um, that would be pr- uh, quite an amazing feat. And so, demographically, we'll see moving forward into 2020 again after this, and even after the census is redrawn. But I wonder, like, if, if there's a possibility by 2020 that that you might see Texas possibly starting to flip a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I think you know the next 10 years it'll be interesting to see um, if 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 that ever did happen. If in the next 10 years Texas really does turn blue, it makes it really tough mathematically, if not impossible, for Republicans to to win. Um, and then of course Georgia would be another state where there by 2025 the there'll be a minority majority state. So, you know, those of you who follow elections closely, you know Democrats' key constituencies, younger voters, minority voters, college-educated voters, um, those three groups of people are only going to grow uh, Mm -hmm. as far as a proportion of the voting demographic, especially in those states going forward.
2: And, you know, one other thing you were mentioning about the Senate, I find it interesting that really the only thing we're talking about with the Senate, uh, whether it goes Republican or Democrat, is not about legislating, it's about who are these senators going to approve uh, in terms of judicial nominations, and uh, that's a dangerous thing to head down uh, that road uh, where we have three co-equal branches, but now it seems like we're using the Senate as part of one of those branches to enable uh, a full branch in the judicial branch to do basically the bidding of the the, the legislature, and I think that's very dangerous. Mike? You just mentioned the Electoral College, how important,
1: what, it's going to be super important in 2020. What do you think of the, will it ever be about? Oh, well, we were just talking about that yesterday, actually, in class.
0: Do I ever think that there's been about 800 amendments to abolish the Electoral College and and none of them have have gone anywhere. I I think if you know some of the flaws with the Electoral College as far as the rural states, the small states like uh, Wyoming that has three Electoral College votes kind of breaks down to about one Electoral College vote for every 180,000 people, whereas states like California have one Electoral College vote for about every 700,000 people. Uh, The small states wouldn't want to change it, so I don't see a constitutional amendment being successful. However, at the state level, we've seen states like Maine, Nebraska, and potentially others who would like to change to a congressional district plan where the instead of winner-take-all, the, the, the votes are distributed by uh, the congressional district. I think that's a real possibility. Um, there's also an interstate compact uh, to where Um, states could vote, distribute, allocate their electoral college votes based on whoever gets the most votes nationally. So that would kind of be an end around of uh, amending the Constitution. I don't see that happening anytime soon, though.
1: No, nor do I. But I was going to say, and I don't know if you both agree with me, I I think Illinois is going to lose at least one more seat in the next 2020 census, if not Uh, maybe more than that, because of the people who have been leaving. Um, and again, the frost belt continuously, r- r- lose, we're losing people. People's, those people are moving down south, which you may wonder, like, what does that mean? Well, it means that after, we've got 435 seats, and every 10 years, those districts have to be redrawn based on population. If we're losing people up here, that means states like Texas last time gained four seats, we lost one. So we'll lose another one. The only other outlier that I think is really interesting to see, and this may seem like I'm kind of coming out of nowhere, but climate change, I've also read, is affecting a lot of the states that are currently getting people. So are we gonna definitely s- maybe see in the next 10 years people who were living in those areas moving actually back up this way because of the fact that the areas that they're living in are no longer viable with kind of water issues and California with the wildfires that are going on now, which that won't affect California because it's it blue 55 pretty solid right now. But you know, who knows? But I think you're gonna see Illinois lose at least one.
0: Any other questions? comments you guys have? On a depressing note, I thought I'd just point out for Democrats that (laughs) if you continue to basically be the minority party in the Senate, there's also that possibility going back to the Electoral College that you continue to win the popular vote like you did in 2000 and 2016, but lose the presidential election. That possibility still exists. So, you know, going back to what Professor Shrek said about the Supreme Court, Know, Democrats have the real possibility of continually, if you look at the House elections, if you look at the Senate elections, the presidential elections, they win the popular vote, but they're not winning the outcome of the election. And I think they have the really, uh, a real possibility of being that minority party, and uh, maybe after a while they, uh, there's some sour grapes. If there hasn't been already where you feel like your, your candidate wins more votes, but you don't have any power to show for that. And now, with the Supreme Court really kind of being cemented with a conservative majority for at least the next twenty years or fifteen years at, at a minimum, so Democrats are going to have a you know disadvantage in the Senate, a disadvantage in the Supreme Court, and potentially you know at least for the next few elections in the in the presidential election.
1: I think it might also depend on the candidate moving forward in twenty twenty though too, because if you if you consider Barack Obama won a lot of the districts that Trump carried by. 10 points, if not more, in some cases, and then Trump then carried those same districts. So I think it might depend on who like, you know, Hillary Clinton, one kind of major error that her campaign made was, and again, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but that she did not spend enough time in in Wisconsin and in Michigan and Pennsylvania, and by the time they started to realize that, hey, this is tightening up, it was too late. Now, could she have theoretically swayed people from voting for Trump? Maybe, I mean, if, if there was more time and effort put into those states, Um, Or were people so solidly already sure they were going to vote for him that it wasn't going to make a difference? But I think it was overall wasn't like seventy thousand votes across those three states, pretty much that decided it. So you break that down, I mean, she very easily could have uh, changed that. So we'll see what happens in twenty twenty. But I think it's it's maybe we'll end on a positive note and say (laughs) for Democrats, who knows.
0: One last point out p- uh, with the exit polls, I think we looked at, Mary was showing some of the SurveyMonkey results. This is National House of yeah. Representative races with exit polls. I don't know how well you can see this. Uh, and does this pointer work? Yeah. Okay. Um, this area here, I, if you follow uh, politics recently, there's been a lot of talk about demographics and, and uh, some of the key constituencies for the Republican Party recently, especially for Trump, has been whites without a college degree. And um, then you look at um, non-whites with a college degree key constituency, or with a college degree, key constituency for the Democratic Party. And the only thing I'll say for Democrats is these states that happen to be the battleground swing states that ultimately determine the presidency, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. It just happens where there's a disproportionate number of people with whites without a college degree. So, you don't need the w- most votes nationally. You need to win those states, you know, for Demo- for for Democrats, you know, you have to if you don't win Florida, you have to win essentially 3 out of the 4 of Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Okay. So, yeah, one more, th- one more, con- we really have until one o'clock, this is democracy hour, but for those of you who have a one o'clock class, feel free to leave. I we'll be t- here for about the next 10 minutes. <laughs> That's I important. have a class
1: too, but I just wanted to point out, because Kevin just reminded me of something, that white women who carried Trump uh, in, in 2016, 53% of white women voted for Trump, this last election, it was down to about 49%, percent forty nine fifty percent Now, that may not sound like that big of a deal, but that makes a difference in an election, when women are 51% of the electorate. So that also will be interesting to see, moving forward in 2020, how how they vote. Um, but again, midterms are different than, as, as Professor Shrek pointed out, than uh, presidential elections.
0: I We love this kind of conversation, so sorry if we bore you, but to her point, <laughs> white uh, women with a college degree is about 60% Democrat. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you really can slice and dice as far as demogra- uh, demographics go to kind of see these key s- swing areas, but uh, it really does make a difference. You can really predict how people are going to vote based on knowing some basic attributes about them. Uh, and the campaigns right now are really doing a great job micro targeting, especially the Trump campaign, of, you know, instead of having these big, uh, ca- uh, expensive campaign advertisements on television, yes, we still have those. But they're really using social media and micro-targe- micro-targeting individuals based on maybe your browsing history, based on some of these demographics, and targeting you with very specific ads that are going to be different from the neighbor um, than your maybe even your own family members. They're able to really hone in on exactly what might be persuasive to you. So any final comments or questions that you have? If not, feel free to to come up and uh, speak to us individually. If you could just join me in thanking uh, Dr. Schreck, (laughs) Professor Faflis. And again, thank you for you uh, for coming out here. Thank you for our student interpreters today who have been interpreting for us up front.